Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida, this is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. On this week's episode, I sit down with Chris Hockman, a member of the podcast team, to discuss the book of Numbers. Chris is a native of Australia. He studied at the Australian College of Theology and has a particular passion for the Old Testament. In fact, his Old Testament professor in seminary did much of his research on the book of Numbers. So we are fortunate to not only have Chris on this podcast, but to also have him on the team, producing episodes throughout the year. As we'll say often throughout this episode, Numbers is an overlooked and misunderstood book in the Bible. It doesn't have the flashy stories of Genesis or Exodus, nor does it have the memorable law codes of Leviticus or Deuteronomy, but it still has something to offer as it details the journey of the Hebrews from Sinai to Moab. In this episode, Chris and I walk through the entire book of Numbers, giving a helpful framework for understanding the journey portrayed in the book, as well as highlighting some really interesting stories and passages in the text. I was having breakfast this morning with a group of uh, older men from my wife's church, and they all said that like they never have touched numbers. They just avoid it, um, or it just never comes up. So let's talk about numbers. And first, let's start by uh, talking about the name, numbers. Yeah, numbers, ultimately, the, the name that we have in English comes from the Vulgate. So the Vulgate in chapter 1 and 26 really talks about numbers. We see two sentences that really divide the book into two halves. And I think that's what puts people off. You know, you talk about the the people at your wife's church not being into the book of numbers. I think you see the word numbers and you think, oh, that's not for me. It's just going to be a whole bunch of census information. So I think it's a, I think it's a rough rap. Like, I don't yeah. think it's an accurate name for the book. I think the better name is In the Wilderness, which comes from the Hebrew. It's really talking about this story of the Hebrews finding their way from Egypt to the promised land. And while they don't quite get there in numbers, uh, we see that story coming through and we see this, this, it's really like a road movie. It's this journey from one place to, to another place. There's a goal and they're trying to work through that. And so we see that throughout numbers. And I think if we called it in the wilderness, more people would real, would read it. So let's talk about kind of where we're at kind of in the journey, right? We start in Exodus with the Israelites who are slaves in Egypt. They get out, right? Through the Passover, they start going through the Red Sea. We hear all that story in Exodus. And then we're on Mount Sinai and all of Leviticus is God and Moses having a chit-chat on Mount Sinai with a few little vignettes in between, right? Yeah, there's, there's not much else. Throughout Genesis and Exodus, we've seen all these characters come into the story. And, and then we get to the next book and it's just two characters with a couple of side, like a couple of B stories happening yeah. in the background, but not, it's not part of the main story. And it's really kind of just a narrative to get those two characters back to everybody else for a moment. And then they're back having their little chat elsewhere. And so in Numbers, we get to see everybody back again and we see all these characters. And I won't say that God's a, a more minor character in Numbers because obviously he's not, but it's more about there's a lot of human interaction in Numbers and a lot of the difficulties of being a big group of people and trying to get through this this journey. You know, if anybody's been on a road trip with even their significant other, let alone their whole family, it's difficult. You know, I... I it's, it's a challenge. And so imagine doing that with thousands of people, because we know at this point, the Hebrews weren't just people who were ethnically part of that group. A lot of Egyptians mm-hmm. left with them in the Exodus and were welcomed as part of the group. So I think we have this big, diverse group who have different customs. And over the years and years in Egypt, they've got different customs. And now we see in numbers, 
Moses having to deal with this diverse group of people and and there's been, you know, along the way we're going to see that group change and get older and have kids and continue a life while living this nomadic kind of tribal life for a while. So they're on Mount Sinai. That's where we get Leviticus and we're kind of connecting this whole Exodus Leviticus story now. And then where do we go in Numbers after we leave Sinai? And so Numbers kind of follows the journey through eventually all the way to Moab, but we're going to have a couple of significant stops. So Sinai to Kadesh forms the first part of the journey. So that takes us to about Leviticus, sorry, Numbers 20. And then the second part of the journey is when they leave Kadesh and go to Moab. There's going to be significant events along the way, but really you can split the book up. So we talked about the split into two censuses. There's also this split into three parts of the journey, the preparation, the first part of the journey, and the second part of the journey that gets them eventually to Moab, not all the way in, but right there, right on the edge. The story in Numbers that everybody does know is the story of not going and making this decision. So the spies go out and then we get this decision to not go to Moab. And it's ultimately where Moses goes against God. Um, And until now, it's always been the people going with Moses and going with God. Eventually, there's been this frustration and this rebellion. But then we see ultimately when the big decision's on the line, Moses says no and goes with the people. And yeah, I think to to find a, a parallel in the New Testament that's not a direct parallel, but I look at Pontius Pilate and he has this rebellion on his hands and he knows the only way to quell it is to crucify Jesus. Moses has this rebellion on his hands and he knows the only way to quell it is to give in. And so he gives in and he keeps his power, but he doesn't get to go to the promised land. And nobody does except for, of course, two people. Yeah, the spies are sent into the land and then they come back with a report and they say, we entered the land to which you sent us. It's actually full of milk and honey and there's its fruit. However, powerful people live in the land and they have huge fortifications. And we saw the descendants of the Anakites there, which are like these giants. And so the people were really freaked out, uh, except for a few of them. And those were Joshua and Caleb. And those guys were like, no, let's go back in. We can do this, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it's a phenomenally relatable story. I think, you know, who of us hasn't faced a big obstacle in, in faith? You know, I know that 2019 has been a difficult year for me faith wise. And, you know, we, we face these struggles and we have two choices. You know, I, I don't believe that God makes us robots. And so, we get these two choices and we can choose one or the other. And and in the end, in in Numbers 13, which is you know, like the, the change in the whole book, it's it's this center point of the book that changes the whole narrative. And it turns it from a four-year journey to a 40-year journey. The whole change here is because everybody makes the opposite choice. And the challenge for, you know, Joshua and Caleb is they also have to live with that choice. And it, it's heartbreaking. And it's easy for us to sit back and go, ah, you know, I would have, I would have done it, but I don't think I would have. I think I would have been like everybody else and, and said, no, that's scary because I do it like over and over again. We all do it. We all make these choices where, where God wants us to do something and we do the opposite and we don't always do it. And we usually don't, but we all do it. We all have these decisions. And I think over and over again, I read my Bible and I emphasize, I empathize more with the the people rebelling against God. And I think in numbers, yeah, I would absolutely be like all the Hebrews who said, no, those guys are scary. I'm not doing that. I'm not taking them on. And then eventually, yeah, we'd you know, I wouldn't get to go. And so you, you get this, you get this part of the story, then this turning point as you like this pivotal point uh, in the movie where you're like, oh man, this could be a 30 minute movie. 
And now all of a sudden we're in for a three hour epic because of one decision that was made. Let's talk about some of the things that happen thematically kind of after they decide not to go into the promised land, right? Because this happens in chapter 13, 14, and we still have 22 more chapters to like see this thing devolve. Talk to us about the pattern of, uh, you know, obedience, disobedience. Yeah, I think, I think we think about this pattern coming up in the book of Judges, which people are more familiar with. But it first comes up in Numbers, really. I mean, we see it a little bit in Exodus. But consistently over and over again in Numbers, we have this pattern where the people rebel against God. God sends a judgment. The people come back to God. God gives forgiveness. And there's still a price to pay. Thousands of Hebrews die in, in the book of Numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of the things that, that I struggle with as a, as a progressive person who doesn't like death in the book of Numbers is how much death there is. You know, lots of people die and seemingly die at the command of God. And that's difficult and not something I've reconciled necessarily, but we see it over and over again. There's this judgment that happens. They come back to God. What's significant in Numbers is it's one of the few times where there is no coming back to God. In one of the moments, God says, okay. And that's that's Numbers 13. You know, God mm-hmm. says, okay, you've made your choice. And he almost kind of says to the all of them except for Joshua and Caleb, I'm done with you. Yeah. We're starting anew. Yeah, it's, it's like a whole arc moment again. You yeah, know, like yeah. it's, it's a completely, the group of people that go into the promised land, apart from Joshua and Caleb, are a completely different group of people than the people that left Egypt. It, it's, I think the thing that we look at is this whole idea of, we wouldn't rebel like they do. I think for me, it's it's easy to see that you'd forget Egypt yeah. and, and you'd forget how how bad it was. You know, they consistently say, oh, we had a good in Egypt. You know, we had all this food and completely forgetting that they were slaves and oppressed. And, you know, and I think it's easy for us as we're both white men in America and, and it's easy for us to not think about how difficult that must have been to be slaves in Egypt. And I think, uh, you know, other, other cultures have a better connection to that experience and can understand that, no, like you wouldn't want to go back. But right. I think it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, yeah, they were probably treated well. Because, of course, white, white Americans want to think that slave owners treated their slaves well because, let's face it, a lot of white Americans are ancestors of slave owners. <laughs> so we forget how, how difficult it would have been for the Egyptians. And the Egyptians forget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just watched the movie Harriet and, and seeing these two divides in slaves of being, yeah, but, you know, I, I, have, I have housing and I have food. You know, if I go out, I, I lose that. That's what the Egyptians thought. You mm-hmm. know, they thought, the, the Hebrews thought, you know, we leave Egypt, we lose this. And they took the risk initially because they saw the great power. But that, you forget that. And I think we all forget that. Like we live our lives and we don't see, you know, I, I talk about my story as I didn't have the, the moment that Paul had in Damascus, you know, on the road to Damascus with a shining light. And I don't think most people do. And and so we we don't get these ostentatious displays of God's power in in the West anymore. And, and so it's easy to forget that. And I think we're more like the Hebrews than we like to admit. Yeah, we're quick to kind of either get mad at God or get argued, argumentative with God because we don't have that watershed moment to go back to of, oh, no, but there was a time when God wasn't. Right. We've just kind of been inculcated in the faith our whole lives. And so it's hard to kind of uh, touch back into that. You know, we, we see this, you know, this cycle continues really throughout the entire Bible, honestly. Like if we're honest, this cycle of rebellion, judgment, forgiveness, repentance, it happens over and over again. I think we most associate it with judges, but we really see it throughout the Bible. And numbers, I think, is where we really, really clearly see the, 
really bad consequences of it throughout. You know, there's, I mean, there's obviously the exile that happens later and, and all of that, which when you take in the whole of how much work was done to get to the promised land to then have God say no is heartbreaking and devastating. Mm-hmm. But this whole journey there is this constant cycle and it's a cycle that's going to keep repeating, not just through numbers, but the entire Bible over and over again. Even in the New Testament, we see this cycle happening over and over again. Numbers is really this formulative part where we understand what this cycle is, uh, but we skip it because it's right. boring. <laughs> um, and it's not boring. Like it's, it's so exciting. It's a, it's a boring name. And, you know, we were talking earlier about how it really should be called in the wilderness. I think that would be a more accurate um, story. And then you have that parallel to Jesus going to the wilderness and going through his test. You know, I I think that would just be so much more engaging because there really are all these stories that you know you don't realize are in numbers. You said that your uh, professor did work on the story of Balaam, and that comes in Numbers 22 to 24. Let's talk about that one. Yeah, Balaam's this fascinating story. It gives us that great joke about God speaking through a jackass so he can speak through this one. You know, it's this. It's a fascinating story, and I think we look at the the Shrek moment of the talking donkey, but there's more to it than that. The, the talking donkey thing is this moment where Balaam comes to God and realizes, oh, I'm in, pre- I'm in the presence of something greater than myself, which I think we've all had these moments where we realize you're in the presence of something greater than yourself. We have these moments where we realize that, and for Balaam, it's when his donkey talks to him. And then we see this whole vignette of, which is a really interesting aside in in Numbers, because up till now, and everywhere except for this one section, is entirely on the Hebrews. Right. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get this side story about this guy who hires Balaam to to basically ward off the Hebrews. He's scared. And I think it's significant. It's the first time that the, the Hebrews' reputation has preceded them and it's gone before them to somewhere else, a lot like how the Mongols worked. The Mongols basically left two people alive to run away and tell the next town that the Mongols were coming. The Hebrews didn't quite do it like that, but word got around and this guy is scared. And he said, I need you to curse them. And so Balaam goes, yeah, okay. And he takes the money and then the donkey talks to him and says, listen, what are you, what are you doing? And he eventually comes to this conclusion like, I can only say what God's going to tell me to say. And it's always blessing. He mm-hmm. always blesses them. And you know, the man that's hired him continually moves him. He goes, well, look, you'll see. If you go up to this high place, you'll see how bad they are. And you'll see that they're terrible people. And so we'll just move over here. And, and he goes there and he blesses them again. And they move to another high place and he continues to bless them. And we don't really know how the Balaam story ends. Like we don't know what that guy did to Balaam at the end of the story. But Balaam keeps blessing them. But it's because he's had this moment with the donkey where the donkey's basically confronted him and said, look, you've got to say what God tells you to say. Because Balaam knows what God's telling him to say, but wants to fight it and wants to reject it and curse them because that's what he's being paid to do. But in this case, because he's had this moment with the donkey, he blesses them over and over again, consistently blesses Mm -hmm. the people. And it's this weird moment where, like, it's weird because this is this whole vignette that doesn't involve, doesn't really involve the Hebrews. They're just a supporting character in the story. But it's such a crucial moment because it's where we see an outsider's view of the Hebrews. And the Hebrews God, Yahweh, has influence beyond just their tribe. Yeah, He's not just a a tribal God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, All right, so that's the story of Balaam's ass. Give us a quick rundown of kind of where where the story goes once we end numbers. Yeah, so we're about to hit Deuteronomy, 
So we're about to hit the repeating of Leviticus. Essentially, that's what Deuteronomy means, which will be talked about when we hit Deuteronomy. We're going to get that repetition and we're getting that repetition because this is now an entirely new group of people. As far as we can tell, there's probably only three people left that left Egypt and Mm -hmm. it's Moses, Joshua and Caleb. I think the hard part for that first generation that doesn't get to see it is one, knowing they're not going to see it, but two, knowing they're going to die. You know, memento mori in Latin. We know we're going to die, but we don't live with it. You know, we don't think about, oh, I'm going to die. Um, we all know it's going to happen, obviously, but we don't think about it. But for this first generation of Hebrews, they knew, and it was always on their minds. And they knew that everything couldn't be completed until they'd all died. And so this, just living with it, and I think Moses is the saddest of the bunch, because we, and we're going to see in Deuteronomy, you know, we, spoiler alert, Moses dies. And we see, it, it's for me, maybe the saddest scene, at least in the Old Testament, uh, but maybe in the entire Bible, is, is Moses' death in Deuteronomy. And I won't spoil it too much, but it, it's a very sad moment. And so that's where we're going. We're going into this whole, you know, we talked about it as a farewell speech. It's that like, it's almost like a reti- a speech at a retirement party, except for Moses. It's basically his own eulogy. Yeah. He gives his own eulogy and then he dies. And then we see, you know, Joshua and Caleb take that up and continue that on. And then we're going to see then the narrative shift from Mosaic to like Joshua and then a continued shift beyond that. And we're going to get into the monarchy and we're going to get into the exile and... Yeah, we get into everything. And so really numbers needs to be there because it's this journey from where we were to where we're going to be. And so it's so interesting to me that people talk a lot about Leviticus and Deuteronomy, but don't talk about numbers. Because without numbers, you don't have the entire rest of the Old Testament. You don't have the prophets. You don't have entering the promised land. You don't have any of that because they never would have left. If you just skip over it, and we were talking about it earlier at the start, we were talking about how, you know, in seminary, you don't really talk about it. And you might do a Pentateuch course, but you're only going to do four books. You're not going to do numbers. You're going to skip over numbers for some reason to do Deuteronomy, which just repeats Leviticus anyway. Numbers is is such a crucial part. Without numbers, you don't get to the promised land. There is no promised land. There's no Joshua. There's no prophets. If you don't get to the promised land and there's no prophets, there's no Jesus. Right. And so you, you need the book of numbers to get you there. My sort of thought to close everything out would be read it, read numbers. Like, don't be scared of it. Think of it as into the wilderness, not numbers. And I think you'll enjoy it more. I think if you come in thinking of it as numbers because of the census, you're going to hate it. But if you start looking at it as into the wilderness, it really is this journey through the wilderness. And the wilderness is such a crucial theme biblically that if we skip numbers, we skip this whole theme that's so important for the rest of the Bible. Thanks so much for joining us this week and continuing this journey with us. Chris and I just scratched the surface of numbers. If you have a study Bible, you may find it helpful to read and reread the introductory notes for the book of Numbers, as well as the outline that the commentator gives for the book. Take the book of Numbers a section at a time, and remember that these texts should feel foreign because they really are foreign. These are ancient texts that we're reading. This is another pivotal point in the biblical narrative as the Hebrews prepare to claim the promised land. Join us next week as we hear the stories of Moses giving the people the law in Deuteronomy. Chris Hockman produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.